Good to be with you this morning. Thank you. Good to be back. Good to see everybody in chapel. I know this is the beginning of the year when everybody is a little bit more here and uh, so glad that I could be with you. And this is fantastic. It's my privilege uh, to come this morning to open uh, the Word of God to you on such a great subject as the doctrine of the local church. And maybe before we start, just a, a few announcements, one more, is just want to remind you of the soccer game today at uh, 3 o'clock out on the field against Westmont. Uh, go out and support them. That'd be fantastic. And also, um, if maybe you're not sure, we have our upcoming camp. I know it's the same time as the missions conference, but Russell Moore is going to be with us. And some of you will know Russell uh, when he was here. It must be three, four years ago, maybe some of the seniors. And, uh, but he's going to be speaking at our camp up at Mandalay Bay over October 8th through the 10th. And if you want to be part of that and you're mission trip is ending on Friday or sometime in there, you're welcome to come. If not, you serve the Lord wherever He would have you go. I saw my mom back there. Hi, Mom. It's good to see you. My mom works here. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It is good to be back. As uh, Steve said, I did graduate here in 85, and um, the guys on the side of there were wondering if it was like 72, 75. I'm not that old. Um... But we had a great time. Dr. Stead was here, and uh, I was remembering the chapels we used to have. No chairs on the floor, everybody up in the bleachers. And uh, Dr. Duncan would preach, and uh, in fact, he preached from the book that I want to preach on this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians. I want to take you this morning in our time to, uh, to, I would think, although a lot of pastors always say that, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And it talks about this Thessalonian church here. And I want to look at that with you for our time in the Word this morning as we talk about the importance of the local church. Because when I look in the New Testament and I want to see a church that was just on fire, I go to this one. Because this was an amazing, amazing church. This was a church that had literally turned the world upside down. In fact, look in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And then he comes in verse 2 and he says, we give thanks. It's really one of the themes of this book. He says, we give thanks to God, always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Why does Paul give thanks? Well, it's found in verse 3. He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God our Father. So he opens this book up, and he does that to the Philippians, he does that to the church at Colossae, he does that to the church at Rome, and one of the first things he always does when he opens a book is he says, I want to give thanks for you. But here, before us this morning, to this church at Thessalonica, he was thankful, because this was an incredible church. And so he opens in two, and he says, we give thanks. And the reason is found in verse 3, is your work of faith. Literally, it would say that your faith which is producing the work. It wasn't that they worked and so they had great faith. It's actually just the opposite. It's their faith that was producing their work and it was their love for the Lord Jesus Christ that was producing um, the labor and it was their hope that was producing steadfastness or endurance. In fact, for a moment, just let me turn you back to Acts 17. Look back there. I want to show you something. Well, when did this church get started? Look back just for a brief moment here. Look in Acts 17. We find out how this church came into existence. It's found in Acts 17.1 on one of Paul's journeys here. 
says in 17.1, it says that when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, I love that, it says he went to them. He didn't wait for everybody to come to them. He went to them in their environment. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And what did he do? He explained and gave evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. There you have it. He comes into this town. He comes into this city as is custom. He goes into the, into the temple there. He preaches the gospel. He tells them about Christ. And a church forms because people were converted. And he had to bail quick because if you kept going on in Acts 17, you'll find out that there was great persecution there. And so he had to exit the scene and they had to get him out of the city. And he was wondering what happened to this church. And then he sent Timothy to them. And then Timothy came back and gave Paul a report at Corinth. And I think it's in Acts 18.5. And then Paul finds out what's happening in this church. And he says, I just praise God. So as we come back into 1 Thessalonians 1, he opens that book by just saying, we give thanks because I see these things. And then he turns on this a little bit. And he says in verse 4, knowing brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. He mentions that word knowing there. And he's saying that his knowledge didn't so much come by way of revelation, but nor by intuition, but by observation. He says, as I look at you, I know something. And what I know when I look at you, by observation, is that He chose you. Literally, the word is that He selected you out, and we would understand, would we not, from Ephesians 1.4, that He chose you in Him before what? The foundation of the world. So you've got to grab this picture here. He comes to these people, he says, I know something about you, and I know it because I can see something. And the thing that I can see and the thing that I can observe in your life is that God has chose you, and we know that He chose us before the foundation of the world. Meaning that even before you had a mother or father, there was breath or life on the face of the planet. He picked you out to be His child. And He picked you out, Romans 8.29 says, to conform you to the very image of God. So as he steps back, he looks at these Thessalonians and he says, you know what, I just give thanks because when I look at you, I look at your labor, I look at your steadfastness, I look at your work of faith, and it all speaks of something. And what it speaks of is that God is in the process and was in the process time ago of picking you out and calling you to himself. And Paul knows that by way of choice. And then look what he says in 5, and I'm rolling into where we're going. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, meaning that some people preach the gospel in word only that it's devoid of any power. He says, but when I came and preached to you, it wasn't just in word only, but it came in power. The Greek word is dunamos there, and I tell you that because we get our English word dynamite from that. And he says, it came in Holy Spirit, and it came in full conviction. So he says, I know when I preached the gospel, God anointed that through the, 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 the messenger of the Holy Spirit, and He convicted you and brought you to Himself. And so, as I give you this overview, He just says, I step back, I'm so thankful for you. Because I look at your, these things in verse 3 which speak of God picking you out and selecting you out before the foundation of the world. And I know this because when the gospel came, it came in power. And it came so powerful that it began to change your life. And that your life was transformed. And that your life changed. And that your heart changed. And then what he does in the rest of the first chapter is he elicits five principles on what transformed and what took place in their life. 
And these are things that don't come out because they were trying to change. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I just read a fantastic article last night by uh, Chuck Colson in Christianity Today, and he was talking about the prison systems, and he's saying that we have failed miserably. And one of the reasons he says we failed is because, you know, like you guys, there's a prison over here. A lot of people don't know this. There's a prison out the 5 freeway at Wayside. And, and you're, as you're going up right before Castaic, and you pass by, it says Wayside on a ranch, and you can see the, the sheriff's badge up on the road up there. If you looked over to your right, there's a prison back there. You say, yeah, there is. And you didn't know it because once you drive back there, there's a full-on city back there. There's 25,000 inmates back there. See, nobody knows better. I think, I wonder what would happen. And once you get back behind the clearing there of those mountains, there's a full-on city back there and close to 20 to 25,000 inmates. And Chuck Colson was saying, we failed miserably. Because out of all the people that go in jail and, and, and spend time in jail, this is across the nation, and get out, 75% of them end up back in. Isn't that amazing? So we're not changing somebody's heart here. And he's saying we're failing because we're trying to seek reform in these men, but reform can't come, he was saying, without the Lord Jesus Christ. So here was this church in the midst of paganism. In fact, if you were to take time to look at the Thessalonian culture, the Thessalonica culture, it was full-on pagan. You know, I think people, it cracks me up when sometimes people say today, oh, our society is really bad. Oh, our culture is really bad. It's really hard to stay pure today. You know what? I think the Thessalonica culture was even worse than ours. Worse than ours. And Paul came into this and he preached the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, it came in power, it came in conviction, and it transformed their life. And Paul says all of this because God shows you out. And when I came and preached, that was your time to know the Lord. And then he elicits five principles, okay, of a transformed life. And why I want to study this this morning is this. I want you to evaluate where you are in the local church. Because when I read about this people... They were a people that were involved with each other. They were a people that loved each other. In fact, I had to go late yesterday to church. I missed the, the first service. Our family's been sick lately. And I, and I saw all the people streaming across, some of the, you guys, uh, second service. And you know, my prayers for you is don't just go to the service. You've got to get plugged in somewhere, and whether it's Grace or another place, because you need to be involved in people's life. In fact, I believe there's close to over 100 references of the New Testament church in, in, in the New Testament, and over 90-some of those have to do with a local body of believers. So it's my prayer as we look at these things, you ask if these principles are yours as you fellowship where you are, if you're just going to exist, okay? But look at this dynamic church. See, a dynamic church is made up of dynamic individuals, and we can say that dynamic individuals make up a dynamic church. But look at the transformation that took place in their life. Look at verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. The first thing that was transformed in these people's life is they, uh, first principle, became imitators. They became imitators of us and of the Lord. And what strikes me there in verse 6 is it says, You became an imitator, Paul says, of us and of the Lord. It's quite striking to me that Paul would say, Imitate me. But he did say that, didn't he? He said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he said, Be an imitator of me. It's amazing. He says, Be an imitator of me. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, Be imitators of me as I am also of who? Of Christ. So he said, To the degree that I'm imitating Christ, you imitate me. And I begin to think about that ideal of imitation and really how our society has no models today. Even within the church, 
And, and here you had this people who were steeped in paganism, steeped, steeped in prostitution, steeped in the world, and the gospel came and God selected them out before the foundation of the world. World, And their word was so transforming in their life that they once used to live for their own lust and pleasure and now they were transformed and they began to live for God. And the first principle that marked their life was one of imitation. Now, I think it's interesting there, the Greek word, and I'll just share it with you because it will help you understand. It's the word mimetes. Mimetes. Now, obviously, we get our English word what from that? Mimic. And what Paul was saying is, I am so thankful for you because when I look at your life, your life is mimicking that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called them to imitate, but I want you to understand, this isn't something that's done in the flesh. This is because the Word came in power and the byproduct of a Spirit-filled life and a transformation of the Gospel is it led to imitation. And I wonder, what are we imitating today? You know, everybody wants to be like who on TV? Be like Mike. And everybody's looking at the wrong role models. And the thing that made this church awesome was that they were imitators. And you know, what? I, when I step back at that, I look at that, I think this is just basic Christianity. And the reason this church was so awesome is because the Word came and they were truly saved. And when I don't see an imitation of the New Testament of a transformed life, it leads one to think if one even knows the Lord. I'll never forget playing basketball with a guy at Pierce Junior College before I came here and played at Masters. Um, his name was Rod, and, and I, was, I came out of a Christian high school. I played, and then I went to Pierce because I wanted to play at Division One. And I saw all my buddies going off, and I thought, oh, I just... I had these Division II offers, and I thought, no, that's, I, I see all these guys. And so I went to Pierce and played because I wanted to go to a bigger school. And I was excited because I'd been in a Christian high school, and I never had the opportunity to, uh, um, you know, witness on a team like that. And I had a guy on our team, and I thought, Let, I want to, you know, I want to be a testimony on the team. And I was young in my faith at that point, 18, and uh, he was trying to share with the guys. And halfway into the year, I found out that this guy was sleeping with his girlfriend. Now, the thing that bugged me on that is I thought, you know what? It'd be one thing if the guy didn't know the Lord. I'm not going to come up to him and give him a bunch of moral standings. I might do that because they're true of the Word. But I'd come up and say, you know what, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But this guy claimed Christ. In fact, he went to church every Sunday. Went down to the church in L.A. Every Sunday he was there. And I come and I find out that he's no different than any guy on the team. And I came up to him and I, and I confronted him as best I knew how in love. And I tried to be humble. I said, you know, the Bible has some gray areas. I said, but Rod, this isn't a gray area here. I said, you name Christ, but the problem is, is that you do what everybody else does on the team all during the week, but the problem is, is you're naming something. I said, and you're, the Bible's very clear about purity. It says in Hebrews, let the marriage bed be undefiled. It says if you want to be in the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that you need to abstain from sexual immorality. And I said, I said, what are you doing? How can you name Christ and live like this as a practice? And, and I'll never forget what he said to me. I said, I said well, how, do you, how do you feel about that? I just wanted to ask him a question. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, quote, I just do it and then I confess, is what he said to me. I just do it and then I confess. So Jesus Christ became a credit card for him. Yeah, he walked the aisle. Yeah, he prayed the prayer. Yeah, he signed on the dotted line. But Jesus Christ was a credit card because as long as he was saved from hell, he can go out and live whatever way he wanted to live. And I said, you know what? I said, I ask you to examine yourself. Because you know what? Where there's no change, there's no Jesus. And here was a man naming Christ, but his life never changed. And there was never any transformation. And he imitated the world rather than Jesus Christ. And I said, you better examine yourself. See, when God comes and the gospel comes, Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the what? 
is the power of God. What do you mean the power of God? It's the power of God to transform a life. So when Paul looks at the Thessalonians, he steps back and he says, I'm so thankful for you because I know God chose you out. And the reason I know He chose you out is the gospel came in power and it came in such power that it was able to help you become an imitator of us and of the Lord. And then it says in verse 6, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they didn't even accept Jesus because it was easy. It was popular. He was going to make you happy, wealthy, and, and wise and all that stuff. No, they just trusted Him. Even in the midst of persecution, the Gospel came and it transformed their life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you modeling the faith for anyone? That's what I'm going to ask you. Are you imitating the faith for anyone right now? Are you in the process of passing truth to anyone? Now, I know you're going to have some of that here in the dorms, but what I'm saying is one of the dynamics of a local church is a people that are imitating that of the Lord and that of godly examples. And you, as, as a group of students, and as me, I always felt this burden. We need to be out there passing the truth along, imitating the faith for somebody, and walking in the Lord, and mimicking the life of Jesus Christ. And, where, and I'll just say this as a point, where, where imitation is not found, don't wonder if you're a bad Christian. You look back and wonder if the gospel came in power. And I say that because of the testimony of my own life. When I was eight years old, I, I remember there was a guy who preached on hell. I was part of a Baptist church, and they had one of these revival guys come. In fact, I still remember the name. His name was Theron Spur. And he talked about the doctrine of hell. And I was eight years old. Mom, I don't know if you remember that. I was eight years old, and I was sitting in the front row with my brother Steve, and the guy was talking about hell and the flames, and I was like, oh! You know, and I thought, oh no, I'm going there, I'm getting hot! You know, I was, just, I was boiling. And as a little kid, I thought, no, I'm not going there. And I just went forward, but you know what? My life never changed from eight to 14. In fact, I was in Grace Church for six years listening to Dr. MacArthur every week and still didn't know the Lord because I didn't know what the gospel was and I didn't know what commitment was and the Holy Spirit hadn't opened that to my heart. And so my life was no different. And I just praise God that He pulled me out of that and He selected me out. But I say, does your life imitate the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give you a second principle. It's found in verse 7. Not only did they imitate, but secondly, verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I love that. The second principle here is that they were examples. Examples to be followed. It says there that they became an example, and I love this, because they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So that means that it wasn't just in their own place, but their example was going beyond to all the believers who were out in in surrounding districts. That word example is an interesting word. It's the word tupos. Obviously, I say that because we get our English word from that type. In fact, that word example meant a number of things here when, when the Bible was written. One of the things that this word example meant, and I think you'll get the flavor of what we're called to do and be in the local church of Jesus Christ, is the word example literally meant a mark left by a blow. It was a mark left by a blow. In fact, it's the same word that is used, I believe, in John 20:25, 20, when, when the risen Lord came back and they came up to Him and He said, It is me. Look at the what? Look at my nail-scarred hands or wrist or whatever. And He pointed them to the mark that was left by the blow of the nail or the stake being driven through. So this word example means a mark left by a blow. It was also used to speak of a figure stamped by a coin. Obviously, if you were to pull a coin, I don't have any money on me. 
if we were to pull a coin out of our pocket, there'd be a president stamped on that because they put, obviously, the silver or the copper in a mold and stamped that insignia. And it was, again, a mark left by a blow. Obviously, this word was also used to speak of the branding of a cow. Now, you've seen that where you take the hot sear out of the fire, maybe, and you take it up to that cattle or that hide and put the rancher's insignia and you'd leave that blow. And so here, that's what this church was. This church was awesome. They not only imitated the Lord Jesus Christ, but secondly, they were leaving their blow on people. You understand? They were leaving their mark on people. Their testimony was so strong that people in Macedonia and Achaia and other places knew how strong it was, and they were leaving their blow on people. And I'd ask you this morning, what kind of blow are you leaving on people? Are you leaving any blow on people? And as it relates to the local church, are you, are you, are you marking yourself somewhere? And I know, again, you're going to have a testimony here in the dorms, but you know what? I guess I could just share my heart with you. I bleed for the local church. I love the local church because Jesus died for it. And you know what? You need to be leaving your blow somewhere. You know, some people leave a different blow, don't they? I remember one time when I was working at Alpha Beta, a girl there named Ann, and, and I, was, I was praying for her. I remember praying for her because I knew she was in a difficult circumstance, and I, and I was praying, Lord, you just need to save her. And, and it was unbelievable what the Lord did is I was praying for her because I knew she was having a difficult time. She was struggling with her family and she had just left her husband. Just left her husband and little two-year-old son and was already going out with people and doing the whole worldly scene. And I thought, Lord, you just need to save her. Well, one day, I'm in the back. I worked in the produce and I checked sometimes. And I'm in the back. I'm at the bakery and I'm pushing, you know, the Coke fountain to get a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever. And she's talking to one of the girls that went to our church with me. And uh, I overheard her talking, and she told the girl, she says, I'm a Christian. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but does somebody ever say that they're a Christian, and you're just kind of like going, how is that? I mean, has that ever happened to you? Like in one full swoop, with just their little tongue, they can just say something, you just kind of like, and when she said that, I was mad. I was kind of like, I hope righteously angry, because I thought, wait a minute. How could she be a Christian and go just flat out leave her husband, start seeing people, go into parties, and have no responsibility as it relates to her role as a believer? But I was flabbergasted by that. I said, how could she be a Christian? I walked right up to her. I said, wait, can you tell me what she said? She said, I'm a Christian. I said, you're kidding. <laughs> and she said, she said, she says, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like you. And I kind of pulled my shirt back. I was looking for the S. I was wondering if I was like super Christian. I wasn't. I was just a Christian just like you, trying to be somewhat of a testimony, and that baffled me. She was a Christian, but not like me. And I looked right at her and I said, Ann, how could you be a Christian but be not like me? I don't know what you're... There's nothing special about me. I'm, I struggle. I still fall, but you know what? I know my life. How could you be a Christian? Well, what do you mean you're a Christian, but you're not like me? She said, quote, I'll never forget it. As long as I could see it, I could put myself right there. She said, she said I'm a Christian, but I just don't practice it. See? So again, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, but you know what? There's nothing in her life. And you know what? You know what's scary about that? Does she understand the gospel? No, she doesn't understand the gospel. And just with her little tongue, she can say that, but her life is completely separate. You know why Paul was so grateful for this church? As God truly called them out. And I'd say to you even this morning, maybe this is a plea, if your life hasn't been transformed by Jesus Christ, don't try to muster something up in the flesh. You better go back and wonder if at that point when you heard the gospel and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, if it came in full power with conviction of the Holy Spirit so as to transform your life. 
And these people were amazing because they imitators and they were examples. And I'd say to you secondly, what blow are you leaving on people? On anybody? See, our prayer here and my prayer for you is that you'd be passing truth along, whether it's children, junior high, whether it's a peer-led ministry, whatever you're doing. I had a guy come up to me yesterday and says, I just really have a heart for CalArts. And I said, praise God, because we need to be out there. And I thought, that's it. He wants to leave his mark somewhere. He wants to pass truth on. And we are such a privileged people, aren't we? Well, these people were amazing. Look at the third principle. It's found in verse 8. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. I love this. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Paul steps back. He says, you know what? Here's the third principle. They are witnesses. He said, you're such a powerful witness. Your faith literally has been a trumpet blast into Macedonia and Achaia, but not only there, in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So that Paul steps back and he says, so that we have no need to say anything. You didn't need to say anything about this church because they were a witnessing church and the Word of the Lord was being declared forth. It was a mighty trumpet blast from their midst. And see, my prayer even for you as you even go out on missions in this next month, the next three weeks, is that Master's College would be this trumpet blast to a lost and dying people. You know, I had the wonderful opportunity a week ago to share Christ with a woman. And uh, it was kind of interesting because I was sharing Christ with her and sometimes we get stuck in our office a little bit as pastors and we've got to get out of that, we've got to meet people. And I had the opportunity to share with her and I'll never forget her, her, her response. Why is it, and maybe I said this to you, a couple of weeks ago in college life, why is it that if you ask 9 out of 10 people if they were going to heaven or hell, why would, what would 9 out of 10 people say? They'd say, I'm going to heaven. And why would they say they're going to heaven? Because they're a good person. And I thought about that and I thought nothing could be further from the truth. People are thoroughly depraved, lost in their sin, dead in their trespasses and sins, and their justification before a holy God is something they've done, something they've worked for, some religion they've practiced, some decision they've made at a time, but it never leads to a lifestyle. And I begin to explain the gospel to her. And I begin to let her know that she was a sinner. And I told her that she was a sinner because most people think that they're good people. And I said, but ah, do you wake up every day and say that you need to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you wake up every day and take your money and say this money is not mine, it's the Lord's? Do you wake up every day and not live for yourself and live for God? And as I begin to share with her, I could tell the lights were clicking on. And I began to let her know that nobody was right before God. And, that, and then I told her this, as a young man, there was one scripture that pierced me that I could never get away from. It was James 2.10. You know what it says? It says, forever keeps the whole law and stumbles at what? One point, he has become what? Guilty of all. And I used to think I was a good guy until I realized that if I'd blown it one time, and most people would say they sinned, and I realized I was doomed at that point. And as I began to share that with her, tears began to fall from her eyes because she never comprehended the gospel. And here this church was amazing because they were out witnessing. And I'm wondering, as you go out in three weeks, you guys got the secret. You guys got the magic formula, you could say, in the gospel of Jesus Christ to take to a lost and dying people. One of the things we're praying for is that our Bible study is there's a little orphanage over here. I don't even know if you know that. There's an orphanage right back up over the street over here. We're praying to have a witness there, a testimony there to a group of men that don't have a father. And I think this is the mark of a dynamic church. And what I'd say to you is if you've ever witnessed in your life, think about it. 
I mean, if you're being trained and you've never shared the Gospel, something's wrong. Okay? Now, and I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm saying if you don't know, you, you know the Lord, which would be kind of funny because if you know the Lord, you should have a desire to share it with people. But if you don't, then you find people here to make that happen on that mission trip. I think of the one girl here who was going out on one of the singing teams and they took her out to COC and she was in tears before they went out on the campus. And you know why? She was a fifth-year senior and she didn't even know how to share the Gospel and she's getting ready to go on a mission trip. And what I'm telling you is if you know the Lord and He's picked you out and you want to be what God wants you to be, then your life should imitate it, should be an example. But thirdly, we ought to be witnesses. And I know for Patty and I, we're really praying for our neighbors. Because, man, I could think I'm super at the church and do all that stuff, but if I'm not sharing the good news with my people that live right next to me, then gosh, what am I? What do I think the ministry is? And I just say this was the mark of a dynamic church, and it's the mark of a dynamic individual. Do you know how to witness? Do you know how to share your faith? This church was transformed. You've got to understand that they were totally taken out of paganism and transferred their light and their whole life was that of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the fourth principle here. It's found in verse 9. It says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, I love this, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. You know what's so exciting about that? The fourth principle is these people were truly repentant. Truly repentant. It says in verse 9 that they turned to God. Epistrepho. Meaning this, that they were walking this way in their life. The Gospel came in Acts 17. Came in full power. And you know what they did? They did a 180 and they turned to God. Whenever you see the doctrine of repentance, it always involves not only a change of the intellect, not only a change of the emotions, but it involves a change of the will. It affects the volition. So that whatever you used to do, you no longer want to do. Sharnock said, as once you used to be a lion, now you've become a lamb. Whereas once you used to love the things of the world, now you hate the things of the world. Whereas once you used to live for your sin, now the things you used to love and live for, you now hate. This is what happens when the Gospel comes and these people turn to God from idols. These people were steeped in paganism. And then it says to what? To serve the living and true God. And you know what's so exciting about that? Nobody was telling them to sign up for anything. Okay? Right? And I'm glad that at the Master's College, it's not as though, you know, you got to be at this, you got to be... You know, it ought to be something that flows from your heart. But see, these people were so transformed by the Gospel that they begin to serve their Lord. Are you serving your Lord anywhere? Now, I know you're here at school and you're in a training time, but are you serving? Are you giving out of the overflow of a life that has received so much? I, you know, I, I used to sometimes feel guilty sitting at Grace Church. Because sometimes I was just sitting there and I wasn't serving at one point. And I think, man, I am getting so much. I graduated from here. I went under the seminary. And I feel like I've been given too much not to pass, not to impart somewhere. And I'd say you guys need to be imparting that somewhere. And I, I'm pleading with you. But on the other hand, this ought to flow from a heart that's been transformed by God. You know what I think? We have a lot of dead churches. You know why we have dead churches? Because there's a whole lot of churches filled with people who don't know who. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason they're dead is they're not filled with transformed, Spirit-filled people. And so nobody's serving because half of them aren't even saved. I worry that for Grace Church sometimes. I pray, Lord, there's a lot of people that come and just hear. I mean, where are they? And I just pray, my prayer for you is that we would become a serving community. And this Thessalonian church was awesome. They served the Lord Jesus Christ and it says they served the living and the true God. Coming out of the idols they were worshiping and bowing to and praying to, they now are transformed. And look at the 
fifth principle. It's found in verse 10. It says, I love this. This one always convicts my own heart. And let me say, we never arrive at these principles, do they? But the thing I'd ask you is, are they ours and increasing? Are we an imitator more than we used to be? Are we an example? Are we witnesses? Are we repentant one time in our life to walk away from the sin-filled life we live? And, and do we stay repentant? And the fifth principle is to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raises from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's not talking about the rapture. Some people want to say, oh, it delivers us from the wrath. The wrath is going to come at the tribulation. There's rapture. It's not rapture passage. You pretty much be reading your exegesis into that passage. It's talking about the second coming. He's talking about that these people, you know what happened in their life? They lived for themselves. Now they live for the second coming. What are we living for, gang? I mean, I know you're here. And I know one of the reasons you're here is you're here to be trained. But this always works in my heart because there's so many things that are pulling and tugging at us and want our attention. And I think, you know what we need to be? We need to be a people who are waiting for the second coming. We're training for it. We're waiting for it. Are you waiting for it? You know, I could think of, I shared that scripture yesterday in our college department. What does it profit a man to gain the what? The whole world and forfeit his soul. Verse 37 of Mark 8 says, For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are we living for? I remember one time going over into a housing structure right over here. And uh, it's right off Soledad Canyon. And I went in with my wife, this was about four years ago, and we thought maybe we could try to purchase like a small home or something. And... Uh, and I went in there, and this was like when the market was going so hot that they wouldn't even have the homes up. They'd just be in a trailer, put all the pictures on the wall, and everybody'd buy them even before they were built. It's crazy. And we went in there, and I walked in, and I saw the piece of paper, and she handed it to me. And I looked at Patty, and they were like way over our price tag. They were like 180000 or something like that. We thought maybe they'd be like 105 or something. No, I don't know. And we saw, and we thought, this is ridiculous. And so we just talking, and we said, obviously, this is little. She says, well, let me introduce you to somebody. She brings us back into the back part of this... Uh, trailer mobile dealer whatever it was and she brings us to the head lady and 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 she says mr and mrs artivanis would like to buy a home and i looked at my wife i said did i say i want to buy it and then she just brought us back in there sit down so we sat down and we started going through and i told her i was a pastor and told her that you know we're one income and we started talking about that and she's trying to work numbers and i said i said just by the way i said how many homes have you sold over the weekend it was sunday and they just opened on friday the showing of them. I said, how many homes have you sold over the weekend? She says, we've sold over 30. And remember, they're not even out. It's just pictures on a wall. I said, really, how many of those homes were sold from a one-income family? You know what she told me? One. One. So, subtly here, I thought, wait a minute. So, to own the American dream, you have to have a two-income family? I mean, you've got to just put your kids over here in daycare. And to own the American dream, you've got to have a, a two-income family. And I think the subtle sellout, and you know what I think is different about Christians? We're not living for the things of this world. We're not living for the here and now. We're living for Christ to come back. And we need to be a people who are preparing ourselves for that and making an investment into people spiritually. You know, I remember one time driving over in Newport with my wife. And uh, we were driving on the 55, like the main drag. It was right in summer. Everybody's hanging out of their cars. And I'm driving in this, in this car, this Datsun. It was, uh, um, it was like a 710, 1972. Mike Robert used to call it um, Flynn because it's just so gross. It was yellow. It was just gross. I'll just tell you that. And uh, maybe that was a little too intimate to tell you. And I'm driving, and, and next to me pulls this red Ferrari. Red Ferrari. And, of course, the guys were totally cool in it, right? had the sunglasses in and they'll never look over you. And they never have two hands on the steering wheel. They only have one. Have you ever noticed that? And then you got that big bass noise. Boom, boom. It's like, turn. And I look up. Patty, look. 
It was a red Ferrari. And I think, what are those things worth? Like 70 grand or something or maybe more? And I said, Patty, look at that. That's a red Ferrari. And Patty goes, well, so what? And I'm driving this little Datsun. <laughs> you know? I said, Patty, that is a red Ferrari. That thing's at least worth 70 grand. And I'll never forget my wife's response. She looked over to me and she said, Scott, all it is is a piece of metal. And I, and I said, that's true, a nice piece of metal. But I, I thought about that for a second and I thought, it's just a piece of metal. So I kind of rose up in my Datsun. I was kind of looking over and I turned KFWB up. That's all I can get. I don't know. And I thought about that and I thought, look it, it's just a piece of car and Peter says it's all going to burn in the end. And I begin to think about it. The only thing that lasts forever is God, His Word, and people. And I thought, here was a church who instead of living for themselves was waiting and the thought is that they were waiting expectantly. And as you're here to train and as you're here to be in a career and all that and be productive and you need to do that because in 2 Thessalonians they started waiting on the roofs for the second coming and just quit the job. Okay? But these people were expecting and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer is, is that we would be a people who value eternity rather than the here and now. And I, I, you know, I look at how many churches are in debt because of buildings and all this mega debt and they're going to have a tough time getting out of it church is like $20 million in debt. And I just look at that and I'm like, wait a minute. We need to be putting it in people and waiting for the Lord. What are you doing with your life? Can you just take a little inventory? You imitating? You a mimic of Christ? You leaving your blow on anybody? Are you sharing the good news with anybody? Are you repenting at one time for your sins and then continuing in that as a daily practice? And are you waiting for His Son? And what happened is these people were all together at the church at Thessalonica. You understand? A lot of times these things happen in the living laboratory of a local church where you impart truth, where you give truth, where you witness because you're in your community. My prayer is that you would let these things be a transformation for your life. And if you know the Lord, that these principles would be yours and increasing. Why don't we pray together as I call the worship team up. Why don't you just spend a moment talking to the Lord. Anything in, in the Word this morning that's pricked your heart? You say, Scott, maybe I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm not what I need to be. Some of you have come from all over the states, all over the country. You've never served before. You need to serve. You need to give something somewhere. To kids, junior hires, high school. Serve somewhere. Peer ministry, street ministry sharing your faith. Maybe some of you, your life isn't what it needs to be. You say, I'm a Christian, but gosh, I'm not who I need to be and I know that my life doesn't imitate here. I know I'm not pure. I know that what I see with my eyes isn't pure. I'm not leaving my blow. If I am leaving a blow, it's a negative blow. Like, don't follow me. If the Lord's pricked your heart through the Spirit of God this morning, will you confess that? That you might be all that God would want you to be you're in here and you don't know the Lord and, and, and you're like me, which is very possible in here, then you talk to the Lord. You talk to me afterward. You say, maybe, I, maybe when the Gospel came, it didn't come in power. My life's no different. No change, no Jesus. You say, that's me, Scott. You talk to someone today. Father, I pray. I thank You for the students. I thank You for the incredible power that's even in this room, Father. 
to change a nation. I thank you for the Thessalonian church. I pray that we might be a people that are like that. Father, I pray that those qualities would be mine and my own heart and increasing. Father, I look at that church. That church wasn't a church about a program. It wasn't that they had the programs and sign up here. It's that they, they were truly transformed and they loved you and they were waiting for you. And they were mimicking you and not the world. And Father, I just pray that would be our heart. I pray for the students as missions comes up. I pray they'd be part of that. I pray that they'd give themselves to share the good news some, somewhere, Father, with some people. Father, and help them get part of a local church to be part of what you're doing, Father, on this earth because the churches need the students. They're part of the body of Christ. Bless our time, Father. May we worship you even now in spirit and truth. In God's name, amen.